In the book, Miracle on the River Kwai, Ernest Gordon tells the true story of a group of POWs working on the Burma Railway during World War II. At the end of each day, the tools were collected from the work party. On one occasion, one of the guards shouted that a shovel was missing, and he demanded to know who took it. There was silence from the prisoners. The guard began to rant and rave, working himself into a real fury, ordering whoever was guilty to step forward. And still, no one moved. All die, all die, he yelled, cocking and aiming his rifle at the prisoners. At that one moment, a man stepped forward. And in the guard's anger, he clubbed that man to death with his rifle. Now, when the work party returned to camp, the tools were recounted and the shovel was not missing. There had been a counting error. The man had gone forward as a substitute to save others. Isn't this a compelling story? It's powerful and heart-wrenching. It captures the imagination all the more because it's a true story. All cultures over all times have honoured acts of self-sacrifice like this. Folk heroes and legends are born from such stories. I wonder why, and I believe the reason why is God has hardwired us so that when we see an innocent give up their life for others, we cannot help but be deeply impacted. And we're going to see this in Joseph's story as Judah, Joseph's brother, offers to give up his life for young Benjamin. And then, of course, we're going to see this in the biggest and the grandest of stories, the story of Christ who gave up his life for you and I. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will soften our hard hearts, you will open our deaf ears so that we can experience afresh the joy and the mystery of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So where are we in Joseph's story? It's after the seven years of plenty, but now it's the second year of famine. Now thanks to Joseph, Egypt is saved. Because of Joseph's hard work during the seven years of plenty, there is plenty of grain stored up, enough to feed the Egyptians, and even some over. But things back in Joseph's homeland of Canaan are grim. Joseph's father and brothers are starving. And there's no way to sugarcoat this. It's the second year of famine. It's harsh and it's grim and it feels that death is only one meal away. So Jacob instructs nine of his sons to go to Egypt for a second time to buy grain. But the brothers refuse. They will not go unless they take their youngest brother Benjamin with them. Why? Because on the first trip to Egypt, the governor, second only to Pharaoh, accused the brothers of being spies. And so the governor kept one of the brothers, Simeon, behind in prison and told them to go back to Canaan and bring Benjamin back to Egypt to prove that they were innocent. Then and only then would that governor set Simeon free. But Jacob refused. He would not let his loved and favoured son, Benjamin, go down to Egypt. 
And now months have passed and starvation is at hand and Jacob still refuses to let Benjamin go. So in chapter 43, we have Judah talking to his father, pleading with his father. Genesis 43, 8. Send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and your children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for Benjamin. Now Jacob has no choice. He is held out as long as he possibly could. But now he relents. Verse 13. Take your brother also and go back to that man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And there's a sense that as Jacob watched his sons leave, depart and travel to Egypt, there was a thought that he would never see them again. Now, down in Egypt, the brothers present themselves to the governor and they still don't recognise that it's Joseph. Now, Joseph orders a magnificent feast and has Simeon released. Now, you'd imagine a meal table, a grand occasion, and at the head of the table and by himself sits Joseph and an interpreter. And then down amongst um, the table are his brothers. And through the interpreter, Joseph inquires after his father and other family matters. Now, the next morning, still none of the wisest, the brothers load up the sacks of grain that they've purchased and they head home, feeling all is well. This trip has gone without a hitch. Soon their families will have their food. And Simeon has been released. He's with them. This is good news. But not so fast. Joseph sends servants after his brothers. And that servant accuses them of theft. Joseph, his personal silver cup is missing. Of course, at this accusation, the brothers are horrified. And they claim their innocence. In chapter 44, Verse 9, the brothers say, If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Verse 10, Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave, and the rest of you will be free from blame. And with these words, the trap has snapped shut. For that silver cup was planted by Joseph and Joseph made sure it was planted in Benjamin's sack. So it's discovered and Benjamin is seized and taken prisoner. And what are the brothers to do? Will they stay or will they go? They're caught between a rock and a hard place. Will they carry on and go back to Canaan with all the grain? Will they save their families? Will they tell their father, well, there was nothing we can do? The Egyptians were too strong for us. Will they do that? Or will they return and plead for their brother? And this is exactly what Joseph is waiting for. You see, Joseph didn't reveal himself at first because he wants to know whether his brothers have changed. 22 years earlier, when he was the loved and favoured son, they betrayed him. 
They sold him into slavery into Egypt. Now, 22 years later, and Benjamin has taken that role. He is the loved and favoured son. He is the only son of Rebekah and the apple of his father's eye. And Joseph is saying, you betrayed me 22 years ago. Will you betray Benjamin? How will the brothers respond? Verse 13 of chapter 44, at this they tore their clothes and then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and the brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Didn't you know that a man like me could find these things out by the divination? And finally Joseph's plan comes together. The brothers are facing their greatest test and they don't even know it. Will they pass? Well, again, Judah takes a lead and pleads for Benjamin's release. Verse 18. Please, Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. A couple of things to note here. Notice the amount of times that Judah calls his brother Lord. And earlier we're told that they fell on their knees. So their brothers are on their knees before Joseph and Judah said, Lord, Lord, Lord. And we go back to that dream. Remember those two dreams that Joseph had when he was just 17. And in those dreams, the 12 brothers bowed down and called him Lord. And this is the fulfillment of those two dreams. Judah pleads for his brother. And then he finishes in verse 30. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of your father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant has guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. You see what Judah is doing there? Judah is saying, I will substitute myself for Benjamin. So the case is that Benjamin has been caught with the cup and because of that he will spend the rest of his life in prison or a slave or both. And Judah is saying, No, I will take his place. And do we see the motivation? What's the motivation? It's all about his father. Judah's thinking of his father and thinking, if I go back and say that Benjamin is in jail, it will bring my father to the grave. And so that's Judah's motivation. First of all, he doesn't want to break his father's heart. Second of all, there's a genuine love for Benjamin, but primary... It's because of Judah's love for his father. Verse 34, How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would 
come upon my father. And with these words and with this offer to substitute himself in the place of Benjamin, Judah and the brothers pass Joseph's test. Joseph has pushed and pushed and given them every opportunity to repeat the sin of their past or to see whether they've changed. And to Joseph's joy and delight, the brothers have changed. Over 22 years, God has done a deep work in their lives and they are not the same men that sold them to those merchants all those years ago. We caught glimpses of this last week when we saw the brothers' godly sorrow growing and becoming, they became more convicted. And this growing conviction reaches a climax here where Judah offers to substitute his life for Benjamin. And at this, Joseph is undone. All the years of built-up anger and frustration and hurt in that moment for Joseph dissolve. And he is given the gift of forgiveness. Joseph is given the, the gift of being able to forgive his brothers in Genesis 45. And then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. In verse 3 of 45, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Finally. (laughs) But the brothers are terrified. With the words, I am Joseph, the fog slowly clears and they see standing before them their brother, whom they least expected, whom they had betrayed. Surely they thought to themselves, with what we've done in all these years, we're in for big trouble. But no, God's done a wonderful work that is so deep and extensive in Joseph that his forgiveness is complete. And though there's a way to go, and there's hurts to be healed, we can leave Joseph and his brothers reconciled and reunited. It's been a long journey, isn't it? And there's still some good things to happen, you know, with the rest of this story, because with the reunition of Jacob and, and everything like that. But let's just leave that and consider the implications. What are the take-homes for us today? And it's all to do with that offer that Judah made, that offer where he said, take my life in exchange for Benjamin. Joseph offered himself as a substitute. Judah didn't steal the cup. Judah was innocent. Judah had a lot going for him. He had twin boys at home, a family, and they were hungry. And the sooner that he got home with the food, the sooner that they would be safe, that they wouldn't be starving. But out of love for his father, he offered to take the place of Benjamin. And we see this clearly echoing Christ and his work on the cross. For it is out of love for his heavenly father that Christ took our place. And it's worth just pausing for a moment and thinking about this. Because often when we hear the the good news preached, we're told that Christ loved us. And loved us so much that he died for us on the cross. And that's very true. But do you know that's not the main reason why he went to the cross? The main reason that Jesus went to the cross was because he loved his father. 
In the same way that Judah was willing to give up his life and spend the rest of it in prison, was not primarily because he loved his brother Benjamin, but primarily because he loved his father. And so when we look at the cross, we see Christ's love for his father that knew no bounds. And secondly, we see Christ's love for you and I that led him to the cross. I'm not to say that his love for Christ was less important. It's just we need to be reminded that the primary motivation for Jesus was out of love for his father. Our sin is so great and God's holiness so pure, but there was no other way except for the cross. Our rebellion against God brings us under both judgment and retribution. That is just and severe, and there is no escape. The stain of sin in our lives is so much it can only be purged by, well, the pit of hell. But Jesus said to his heavenly Father, Not them, but me. Not them, but me. So on Christ, Calvary traded places with us. In the same way that that soldier in that POW camp stood forward, in the same way that Judah offered his life for his brother, in a true and a better way, Christ traded places with you and I. And some 700 years earlier, God revealed something of this mystery to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Listen to how Christ has been substituted for you and I. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Isn't that amazing? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Describes the work on the cross. And by his wounds we are healed and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's what Christ's substitution for us on the cross means. And the New Testament explains that well. Our reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in particular verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. I mean, that soldier who gave his life hadn't stolen that shovel. Judah hadn't stolen the silver cup. Jesus never sinned, but was willing to do that. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become right with God. Now Judah was willing to trade places with Benjamin even if that meant jail and separation from his father. Likewise, Christ took our place, received our punishment even if it meant separation from his heavenly father. And often we focus on the physical pain of Christ. You know, the whipping and the beating and the mocking beforehand and then the torture of being hung, nailed to a cross. And that's very severe But you know what hurt most? What hurt most for Christ was that he was separated from his heavenly Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ cried out from the cross. Because that was the price he was willing to pay. 
And as he breathed his last, and as there was darkness on the land, there was great silence as the Son of Man died. In our place, as a substitute, Christ gave everything. But of course the story does not stop there. For on the third day with the rising of the dawn, the tomb was shattered and Christ was raised from the dead. And with that first resurrection comes our freedom, our release, our new birth. And still to this day, our Saviour extends eternal life to all those who repent and believe. And so this is at the core of the Christian faith. Jesus came to rescue you and I from prison, not from an Egyptian prison, not from a cell, but from sin and death. And the only way that that could be done was that if he took our place, if he was substituted for us. And so, like Joseph, we are undone. I mean, Joseph just cried and cried and cried. And often when we first understand what Christ did for us, it breaks our heart. And there are tears. Not all the time. You don't have to have tears, but you can understand why Joseph was undone as Judah offered his life for Benjamin. And so too, as we stand before the cross, are undone. As we realise what Christ for us. And how do we respond? Romans 10 9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, we will be saved. And what Christ did would not be in vain. As Judah fell down before Joseph and, and said, Lord, Lord, so many times, we too fall before the cross and say, Lord, 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 as we plead for the blood of Jesus to cover and cleanse us. And so today, we've revisited, we've refreshed for many of us what it means to be a Christian and what is at the core of our faith. And at the core, it is that Christ substituted himself for you and I. And that has broken our heart, melted our heart, and turned our hearts to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray.